I could not believe Christians could behave that badly. It was a shock. Um, so I was um, really grateful for the fact that my conversion had been to Jesus and not to the church <laughs> primarily. The Profile with Premier Christianity magazine. Hi and welcome to The Profile here on Premier Christian Radio. I'm Emma Fowle. The Profile is the show where we sit down with a well-known Christian to hear more about their life, their faith and their ministry. It's brought to you in association with Premier Christianity, the UK's leading Christian magazine. The monthly title features more interviews just like this one, as well as all of the latest news, reviews, columnists and more. Head over to premierchristianity.com forward slash subscribe for more information. Today on the show, I'm speaking to Reverend Dr Kate Coleman. The first female black minister in the Baptist Union, her life has been one of a leadership pioneer. Today, she'll be telling us how she came to Christ despite the odds, what lessons she's learned from her 30 plus years in leadership and why the church needs to reimagine itself if it wants to survive and thrive. Well, Reverend Dr Kate Coleman, thank you so much for joining us today on The Profile. Now, your career so far has been vast and expansive, and hopefully we'll uh, unpack many of those things in today's episode of the podcast. But um, it's also been a career of many firsts. You've been the first female black um, minister within the Baptist Union. You were the first female black president. You were the first female black chair of the Evangelical Alliance Council. When you look back over the breadth of your career so far, what's the achievement that you are most proud of? Um, I think that the achievement that I'm most proud of is is actually not to do with a position um, or to do with pioneering or any of those things. I think the achievement I'm most proud of is actually just saying yes to God, Um, because with all of those things, I wasn't trying to be a first um, with any of those. So it was I said yes to God, not knowing that I was a first in any of those scenarios. Once I realized I was the first, it was a bit of a fear-filled moment, but um, just being able to say, actually, I I said yes to God. I said yes to God when it was hard to say yes. Um, And um, I said yes to God in lots of really difficult situations. So for me, that's the achievement. And, and that's something you must have sort of, you know, learned how to do over many years of being in leadership. So let's let's take it right back to the beginning, right back to 18 year old Kate. You were originally at university studying biochemistry. Is that right? Yeah, absolutely. Biochemistry. And I've seen you. I've seen it written that you said at that time, in your own words, you were not particularly warm to Christianity. Could you tell us a little bit about that? What, what, what at that point in your life, what was your relationship with with faith and religion like, and and how and why did that change? Right. So at that point in my life, I I did believe in God. I believed in some kind of God, but I I really was averse to the Christian version. I'd gone to a, a Christian secondary school, a Church of England, and um, unfortunately was thoroughly inoculated from Christianity as a result of it. Lots of hypocrisy, lots of um, kind of institutionalism. Um, you know, as I look back, it wasn't a bad school. It was just that my experience, um, and certainly of God, was not a good one um, in that. So that actually really Uh, separated me from any idea of the the Christian idea of God. So I was looking into all sorts of stuff. I was looking into, you know, various African spiritualities. I was looking into um, Islam with a friend of mine because her boyfriend was a Muslim. So she was reading the Quran. So we started reading the Quran together. Um, There there was all kinds of spiritualities kind of flowing around. Um, So I was really surprised when I got apprehended by God um, and that happened really in my within my first two three months of being at university, and I'd actually written to my to my younger sisters because they told uh, showed me the letter um, that um, I'd landed at university and I was doing my best to avoid religious people, particularly Christians, and um, I'd written to them and said to them. Um, Oh, you know, I've 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 avoided all sort of religious people. My my roommate says she's a Christian, but she's not trying to convert me, so I'm fine. But then discovered that the person I was going to 
my lectures with was a Christian. And the, a number of the people I'd made friends with in, in my halls of residence were Christians and then realized I was actually being, you know, targeted by God. You know, I had a few friends who weren't Christians, which is a huge irony. Uh, one of my Christian friends invited me to um, go to hear his band. So he used to be in a Christian band um, at the local church hall. That got cancelled right at the last moment. I, I kind of said yes, because it was like, well, what do you say when a friend asks you to do something? And um, they were disappointingly and surprisingly good. Um, you know, because we the, the, the three of us who weren't Christians um, had gone saying, well, you know, if it's not good, we'll just heckle. Um, so hopefully that's not that doesn't cast a real shadow on my personality. But, you know, that that was kind of my our mindset at the time. And we got to towards the end of the, the set that they were playing and they just asked everybody to close their eyes. You know, I remember feeling very affronted by this stuff. Um, I couldn't understand why the Christians were so happy and kind of dancing away and stuff like that when the world was in such a state um, and so much of it was there fault and um you know he just said if there's anyone here who wants to know more about Jesus just raise your hand and I remember thinking I am never going to do that but then felt hot and cold and then realized that my hand was actually in the air it was at that moment I kind of you know I opened my eyes looked up and there it was it was kind of wow okay and it was at that moment it was like just stop saying no to God this is the moment just say yes to God and maybe that's where I learned how to say yes um you know kind of coming out of real point of stubbornness um and then discovered that one of the other friends who had gone had also made a commitment that's the same night um so it was it was a real Damascus road type experience I was heading in the opposite direction I felt I got apprehended by God got spun around in a way that I would never forget um, and I remember that night I, I called one of my one of my friends and said, Susie, this is what's happened to me. And um, she, she rebuked me and stopped talking to me for two or three years. She said, how could you have done this? Do you know what you've done? She said. Um, so um, that was my journey to Jesus. And it was um, a total life changing one. Um, I totally spun around and started getting serious about who God was. And realize that who God is, is who God is. And that his people are sometimes well behaved and sometimes not well behaved. But that doesn't change who he is. Um, and that my allegiance is to him, it's to Jesus. And that that has served me well over the years. Because, you know, the, the church is not always a great place to be. but um, And it doesn't always do the right thing. Um, but Jesus remains the same. Jesus is constant. Um, Jesus always loves, always challenges, always invites me to go deeper and he invites us to go deeper. So for me, that was uh, that was a total sort of life changer. Yeah, it's really interesting what you were saying that your experiences of, of what you you thought you knew about Christianity from school were were in the end completely different from from what you actually learn about the person of Jesus Christ once you had a personal encounter with him. What was it about your schooling that that really put you off of God? I think it was the sense of institutionalization of faith um and you know that had to be done in a certain way i i wasn't into the smells and bells i you know i realized that that works for a lot of people so i i don't want to um decry that but it didn't work for me mm. and but it was being framed as the the way to be a christian um i think as well i i knew people who said that they were Christians within that context and yet didn't really behave like anything that I thought Jesus behaved like. So there was an incredible degree, I felt, of hypocrisy. Um, and also, although this didn't change when I was at university, also, you know, Jesus was presented in a certain way. At, at, it was so, you know, far removed from any sort of reality. Jesus felt like way out there somewhere um, and looked a certain way. And, you know, and, and for me, a white Jesus is not really a positive um, thing. Um, so, you know, he was packaged in a certain way and faith was packaged in a certain way. And none of that really, it didn't resonate for me. It didn't work for me. And also 
um, the Christians that I met really didn't do a great job of modeling um, or reflecting who Jesus was. Mm -hmm. Um, It felt like it was very much to do with um, a particular kind of church um, do you think some of those experiences, you know, sort of coming to the realisation that the, the Christian experience you'd had didn't reflect the person of Jesus, is, is that in any way a motivator for, for for what you ended up doing with the rest of your life after you became a Christian, going into leadership and leading churches and leading organisations? Absolutely. I, You know, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a big um, believer that it's oftentimes our, our pains and our processes that actually help to shape who we are become and who we are and what we're called to do you know god doesn't waste any of that stuff so all of that experience helped um me in terms of what i then felt the nature of my calling was and the things that i had to address as part of that calling and even the 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 whole leadership thing so i guess um i'm only thinking about it now but i guess you know even becoming you know, the first black woman Baptist minister um, in, in the UK, being willing to say yes to God, regardless of whether I'd seen anybody else say yes to God over this. I was willing for God to not be <laughs> what I'd been originally taught that he was. Mm. Um, I was willing to learn something new um, and to do something different. So, yeah, I guess so. I, you know, I, I, I have to say I've, I've not thought about that before. But, yeah, I think that it definitely did set me up for being able to say yes to whatever God asked of me, whether other people were saying it was valid or not, um, because I'd seen so much that I was being told was the right way um to do things and to be etc etc and and that I'd actually reacted against that too so I love the way God just knows who we are he knows who we are he knows what we need to hear he knows where to place the challenge he knows the language that we speak um Mm. and he he speaks the language that we will respond to um the most so yeah absolutely so let's talk a little bit like about that. I, I've heard you you say before that you you sought God, you felt very actively called into church leadership, but you found yourself in a church at the time that was not supportive of that call. So I had to go through a journey of wrestling through that yourself, understanding whether or not you believed that women could lead in the church. But how did that outplay in your church at the time? Did you manage to change your leader's mind? Did you have to leave? What happened? How did that play out? Just to kind of give it a little bit of context, I'd gone off on retreat, really because the Lord said, um, come apart by yourself. I think it was based on Mark 9, 2, I think, you know, where he speaks to the disciples, come away by yourselves to a high mountain. And um, and he said, you know, he'll speak to me. And it was a Mount of Transfiguration. So it's that part of that story. And I'd gone off to Scotland um, because that's where mountains were in, in the UK. And um, God spoke to me, he spoke to me really, really clearly um, about leadership and about that call. And, the, you know, as you've said, the basic problem was that I came from a church that didn't believe in women in leadership and neither did I. So coming back. Um, into that and thinking okay well if this is God speaking then God is going to have to make this happen and of course it did happen to the surprise of everybody partly because at those around the same time God was speaking to some people who were overseeing our church about their attitude to women's leadership the the guy decided to go to all of the churches that were under his oversight and uh, it turned up rocked up one um, evening and had asked everybody to come and and basically said um god has really rebuked me over women's leadership you know you couldn't write it so and i'm standing there thinking this is a turn up and uh and he said uh, you know i want to appoint four elders to this church and he said then kate's going to be one of them and the church went into meltdown and i remember saying to him afterward i will not be the cause of a split in this church and he said God has already spoken to you, I think. And I didn't say anything. He said, um, you don't have the luxury to say no to God. It was like, oh, wow, okay. And then, of course, 
you know, I headed into leadership and uh, the church was still in meltdown. There were people who had been very good friends who surprised me with their um, attitudes and some stuff that was written and said a few people left. It was a baptism of fire. But I remembered what the overseer said, and uh, I knew what God had said. So I, I I leaned into that and dealt with all of the bad behavior. It was I could not believe Christians could behave that badly. It was a shock. Um, so I was um, really, really grateful for the fact that my conversion had been to Jesus and not to the church <laughs> primarily, so that I was able just to maintain my commitment to the call um, that was on me, but also to him and to his people because of and in spite of themselves. The church, it went through a very rocky patch. I remember the moment that I knew that something had significant, had shifted, was uh, we were having a church meeting and uh, one of the very uh, significant men in the church actually quite well known in the Christian world at the time, uh, stood up and uh, he said, well, I don't know about the rest of you, but as far as I'm concerned, Kate's my pastor. Um, mm. And uh, so that that was a huge, huge shift. So, you know, I think a few things to bear in mind. I was a black woman leader, the first black woman leader. I didn't know it at that time, um, but clearly there were not a lot of me about um, in leadership in a context that was generally hostile to women and black people. So I was leading a majority white church. This was a big deal. And I I often think, especially with, well, like you said earlier, about dealing with bad behaviour from within the church, this must be such a difficult thing for for leaders. Because you, like you said, you are, you're trying to navigate the bad behavior you're also trying to love people and pass them and grow them and kind of you know the the normal circumstances where uh, you know a, a normal member of the congregation may just have the luxury as it were of being angry and flouncing off you don't have that you're you're trying to deal with this in a way that is also you know respectful of your calling as a leader how, how do you navigate that kind of thing yeah I mean that is that's a huge challenge and this is where understanding that bar for leaders is slightly different mm. um, you know so we see that in the biblical text um, so kind of having to watch ourselves our own hearts and having to take our own advice as well you know the stuff that we dish out really easily to other people um, because we're, because that's part of the calling but having to take our own advice um and and having to make sure that we 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 kind of congruent with what we believe our calling to be and what we believe faith to mean um that that's all part of the the package it's all part of the journey and for me leadership is about setting that example it's not always easy to do. Leaders are human beings at the end of the day, but that's that is part of the terrain. Church contexts are the places where people usually feel utter abandon with bad behavior, you know, stuff they wouldn't do in their working environments and they wouldn't do sometimes even with their fat their own families. They will do in a church context. And some of that is understandable. It's the, it's the place where, where Jesus is and Jesus loves us and regardless of who we are and what we are. But all of that bad behavior, it's some of the worst stuff comes out in, in that context. So people feel very free. But as a leader, what you're trying to do is show people another way. Um, what you're trying to do is help people to grow, to become everything that God is calling them to become, which means you have to do your own growing and becoming everything that God is calling you to become. And sometimes that's possible and sometimes it's really tough. Now you wrote a book quite a while ago now, um, specifically for females in leadership called The Seven Deadly Sins of Women in Leadership, Overcoming Self-Defeating Behaviour and Work in Ministry. And, and I've heard you describe this as the book that you wish that you had when you started out on your leadership journey. And you talk about all sorts of different things like our perceptions of ourselves and our work-life balance and our boundaries and dealing with confrontation and people-pleasing. What was the biggest challenge out of all of those for you personally? What, what's the one area that you've really had to work on wow um just one 
biggest one was limiting self-perception. So how I perceived myself as a leader. And some of that was simply because I'd absorbed all the the, the, the messages about women in leadership, being black women in leadership, taking a slightly different approach to leadership, because that was also something that was got commented on. Um, you know, I was hugely into empowering people to to step up and to do things they hadn't done before. Now, nobody, you know, that's the way to do it. But but then they were taking a dim view to this. And, uh, you know, I remember somebody actually saying to me, you allow people who haven't been trained to preach? I said, yeah. You know, they talk to God too, you know? Um, so, so you know, the, the stuff that we just take for granted now felt to me it was kind of breaking um, new ground at, at that time. So trying to just lead in a, in a different way and um, trying to approach things in a different way. That was probably the biggest issue for me was having to constantly battle that that sort of limiting self-perception. Can I do this? Am I up to this? You know, should I be in this space? The challenge for me was actually trying to see myself through his eyes and not constantly see myself through the eyes of other people who I knew didn't feel that I should be in the space or, you know, felt that I should be a particular kind of leader or, you know, all of that sort of stuff. So um, learning to lead out of who I was and what God had put in me and given me was the was the main challenge. So, I mean, that's partly why I wrote the book, because I kept meeting other women everywhere I went, you know. So whether it was in the UK, whether it was overseas, because we were I was doing quite a bit of work overseas by that time. I was hearing pretty much the same things. And even in contexts where they were celebrated, I was hearing pretty much the same sort of thing and realized, wow, okay, this this isn't just me. This is something that actually lots of women in particular, men too, actually, the irony, but, you know, there were certainly more women were having to deal with. So, yeah. It's interesting to hear you speak about sort of some of that coming from the perception of others around you and, and the culture, because because that is an interesting question, isn't it? As women, how how much of this do we take on ourselves and say, well, this is all very well. Of course, we need to look at ourselves and our own character traits. But actually, what about the world around us? You know, should we be internalising this stuff and saying we need to be more assertive? We need to be better at boundaries? Or should we be getting really, quite frankly, quite angry at the world around us? You know, the stats still stay, don't they? Girls do consistently better at school, but we still have significantly more male CEOs than female. You know, there's still a gender pay gap. Men are still better at getting promotion. Is that just personality is it you know the the vast majority of women may still take significant career breaks to raise a family or is it societal expectations is it toxic masculinity is it decades and hundreds of years of the patriarchy how do we split these issues out between the things that we need to deal with and we need to take responsibility and the things that we quite frankly need to sort of maybe shout a bit louder about out there in the big bad world to get things changed yeah that's really really good um point so you know with the book with the seven deadly sins book we were trying to deal with the internal questions and how you kind of address those we were very aware of the external and you know for myself i was very very aware of the external for all kinds of reasons so you know the the, the reality that actually we're dealing with structural issues we're dealing with cultural mindsets we're dealing with um, institutional um, frameworks and all of that works against women's leadership for a variety of reasons and those things have to be addressed as well in fact they have to be addressed primarily and in terms of my own ministry and calling uh, quite a bit has been caught up trying to address some of those things at an institutional cultural um, and structural level um so um i wasn't saying that that stuff is less important what i was trying to do was help to buoy women at the point where they were believing some of that stuff and thinking that you know downplaying who they were 
was the right way of doing leadership where you know they felt that um the kind of absorbing everybody's stuff having really porous boundaries was good for them i was trying to challenge this narrative um around leadership but also around women's leadership um that some of the stuff we think is good kind of negating ourselves actually has nothing to do with god has quite a lot to do with the the external messaging that we're getting and what we've got to do is we've got to find a space in jesus um uh, and the truth that he says about us and actually embrace that so i was trying to address that side of it because i saw quite a lot of the other side being taken on Um, but both things that the internal and the external both of those need to be addressed you know, over the last little bit in particular, it, it's interesting what's happening around women, women's leadership and women's visibility. And um, it's not an either or. We've got to address both of, of the things. And just because there are external factors doesn't mean they don't have internal implications for us. I meet too many women for whom they haven't even given a second thought to where they got that thought from about themselves. They've just absorbed it. That was Kate Coleman speaking to me, Emma Fowle, here on Premier Christian Radio. You're listening to The Profile, and we'll be hearing more from Kate right after this. Too many of us are living in a bubble and not hearing both sides of the world's important stories. It's time for a more rounded perspective. It's time to discover Premier Christianity. Balanced, confident, relevant, faith-filled. Discover fresh biblical perspectives as we bring you wide-ranging stories that impact the church. Discover the go-to source for Christian news. Subscribe at premierchristianity.com. Now only £5 for three months. Hi and welcome back to The Profile here on Premier Christian Radio. I'm Emma Fowle. The Profile is the show where we sit down with a well-known Christian to hear more about their life, their faith and their ministry. It's brought to you in association with Premier Christianity, the UK's leading Christian magazine. The monthly title features more interviews just like this one, as well as all of the latest news, reviews, columnists and more. Head over to premierchristianity.com forward slash subscribe for more information. Today on the show, I'm speaking to Reverend Kate Coleman. Let's listen in to the second part of our interview now. So 13 years on from writing the book, would you say that we've made progress at all within the church and or wider society? Um, there, there is some progress, yes. Yeah. So we're, we are more aware of this stuff and we're more aware of the, the hidden histories of women and women's leadership. And it's more present, it's, it's more out there. And we're, and we're seeing... Um, particularly in entry at the entry level, whether it's in the church or whether it's in society, we're seeing more women come into leadership. There's still a, a bit of a dearth at the that there are shifts and changes. You know, you look at some of the stats that are uh, are out there. There are some shifts and changes. What hasn't changed so in in terms of representation, what hasn't changed so much are the cultures. Um, the culture of leadership, the culture of organizations, the culture of institutions, they are still very masculine and are generally very unhealthy. Even for most men, they're unhealthy. The stuff that they expect people to do the way they expect us to live and lead, um, as if we have nobody else in our lives, as if we don't have children, as if we don't have parents or anything like that. Um, so there's still a lot of work to do. Um, so I'm always um, cheering on those who are kind of taking that stuff on. And I'm always willing to say something about those those uh, challenges as well. Um, within the church context, there's been a shift. Um, and certainly within some of the more denominational groups and also um, some of the charismatic and Pentecostal <clears throat> groups, they are rethinking. There are some who have headed back down the rabbit hole, as I see it, but some of that hasn't been surprising. The history of some of those churches would have expected for them to do that. Um, and some have tried to find a sort of middle way, you know, so in, there are those who are kind of saying we're kind of egalitarian complementarians, um, you know, so that they're, they're, they're trying to do that because 
trying to maintain um, a stance that women are incapable, are not gifted, are not called, is virtually impossible in a world where in many of the countries uh, where that haven't been influenced by Western theologies around this, when the spirit's just left to move, it's the women who rise up to lead, you know, so the church in Iran, the church in China, the underground churches in China, et cetera, et cetera. And you have to, you have to have a pretty strong constitution to say that that's not God at work. You know, I mean, you, you have to be pretty arrogant to question that, that that's not the Holy Spirit at work. And if it is the Holy Spirit, then maybe we should question our theology rather than how God chooses to, to to do it. So there are things shifting and changing, but there's still an awful lot of work to do. Would you rather go to a church that's led by a man or led by a woman? I'd rather go to the church that I feel that God has asked me to go to, because I don't know if I need to be there to make the shifts and changes um, that, that need to come. There was a season of life where... God asked me to go to a number of different churches, work and work alongside a number of different friends as it happened. Um, and um, I didn't really know what I was in each of those spaces for, but I do know that in any space I'm in, um, I can't leave it untouched by this reality and by this passion. So there's lots about women's leadership I love and I want to champion and support. So if the Lord asked me to go to a church that was led by women, that's what I would be doing. I'd be championing and supporting, kind of saying, look at look at her, look at her, you know, we need more of her. Let's let's uh, uh multiply this one. Um if I was called to a church that was led by a man, um I would hope I was called to a church that was led by a man who was very passionate about women's leadership. And at this moment I am in a church like that. Um, so for me, that works um, too, because then it's about, okay, how do we get these women through? What do we need to do to um, support that? That's a, a very grown up and diplomatic answer to a deliberately provocative question. So that's fine. <laughs> Let me put it this way. Do you think that church leadership is healthier when it has a mix of male and female? For example, do you think we may have avoided some of the abuse scandals, the toxic church cultures, or the things that seem to be engulfing the church in recent years, if we had historically had a better mix of men and women around the leadership table in some of our bigger churches? Absolutely. A hundred percent. We would have saved ourselves a lot of grief. Um, I think some of the stuff that we've seen over recent years has without doubt um, emerged because um, a certain kind of it's, it's been two things. So it's, it's it's been the fact that leadership has been seen to be male, but then it's been a certain kind of male, too. And the lack of diversity, both in terms of male, female and diversity, ethnically, culturally, I think has without doubt led to some of the nonsense um, that, that we've seen and some of the grief um, that's been caused. Um, had we not insisted on that as the the only way of, you know, church leadership, I, um, I think we would be in a very different place today. Um, and I and I think the um, you know I can't pull out immediate statistics for this, but I think that the the evidence is pretty clear where you do get mixed um, leadership groups the quality of leadership is higher where it's where there's a proper kind of collaboration uh, because even within groups where you do get a mixed group you don't always it's not always a collaborative one there's still a kind of hierarchy where there's kind of proper collaboration and, and openness to learning in leadership then yeah you get a better quality of leadership without doubt um, that combination would definitely have uh, saved us as the church a lot of grief is in some ways it's really sad that we we have to go through this stuff to see that I think God is very very gracious to us as his people um, one of the things I'm constantly saying to people is look um, God doesn't work with us because we get things right 
So please don't think that because your church is this, that or the other, that's why God is working. God works with us because he loves us in spite of and because of who we are, and what we are and what we're capable of. But he still has things he wants to see happen within his church. And I think that that diversification of leadership, that plurality, um, that more collaborative approach, um, men and women working together, bringing their insights and making sure that they are properly weighed up and, and properly addressed, for sure, would make church leadership a whole lot, leadership anywhere for that matter, a whole lot better. So you're saying basically that one of the things you hope may come out of the season of scandals and things is 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 that church leadership models would change. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, I I think we that there's almost a inevitability that they have to, mm. because I think that what has been happening has that people are becoming um, more and more cynical about church leadership. Unfortunately. That's the leadership they should be most confident in, but you know, finding greater and greater sort of cynicism, but also beginning to recognize the kind of leadership that leads to that kind of toxicity. So I think there's a there'll be a reaction. I think there is a reaction to that, and I think wisdom amongst those who lead um, would say that the lesson here is that we need to lead differently. And we need a different kind of leadership. And I I think God is already doing it. The question is whether um, within our context we will say yes to God or whether we'll insist on our own way and our own way of doing things. Because uh, generally speaking, we think we, we know better than God does. It's his church. And I think he's uh, making the point that it's, it's, it's his church. Let's talk a little bit about leadership and creativity, because I think I think sometimes we think that the leaders are the boring people that get stuff done and uh, that the creatives are the, the beautiful people that are up the front leading worship or painting or, you know, we have we, we sometimes have these quite set views about what is creativity, what is entrepreneurship, what is leadership. How do you see creativity and leadership meshing together? Yeah, that that's a really good question. Um, I think with a lot of um, stuff kind of in life I think we we draw too many lines and too great a separation between stuff I think this is another area where we've made some big mistakes because the diversity isn't just to do with male female diversity it's not just to do with ethnicity and culture and um, it's also to do with creativity you know people for whom that's natural and normal um, and that's part of the gift and grace that they bring and the way people think um, as well. We need all of that in leadership. I don't see a huge division between those things. I think leadership would be enriched. I think it would be stronger if we actually saw all of these gifts kind of being drawn into it. I think that's partly the um, Ephesians 4 thing. You know, it's, it's in there, pastors, teachers, evangelists, prophets, apostles, That is supposed to be in there somehow. We need this kind of real difference in disposition and personality and grace and gift and capability and capacity. Leaders have to do more than just get things done. It's about how we get it done. It's about being like the creator um, in getting it done. The person we're following is Jesus. And, you know, the way that Jesus did things was incredibly creative from the way that he taught you stories and the, the way that he bent down and drew pictures and the way he spat and did, you know, I mean, who would do that? You know, what church leaders do that today? And yet maybe every now and again, we need to sort of stretch ourselves and, and not just see ourselves in very, very narrow um, approach um, to leadership. God can cope with creativity, so we need to learn to do it too. 
Yeah, it's amazing, isn't it? I think for the average church leader, especially if you're in a sort of a normal British sized church, you don't have 15,000 people to rely on. So you are expected to be a great communicator on a Sunday morning and, a you know, a beautiful pastor on a Wednesday evening when someone rings you at 10 p.m. having a breakdown. And you are expected to organise the rotors and and you're doing everything in between. And, And I think sometimes it must be incredibly hard, actually, to to either not lose sight of your primary gifting or find a way to work with that 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 feels healthy and doesn't lead to complete burnout and we've seen all these things especially post-covid haven't we about um really really high rates of burnout in church leaders what's your experience of that working with next gen this is what you do every day working with leaders on a one-to-one basis or coaching or mentoring or doing consultancy what are you seeing in the leaders leadership sphere right now within our churches and, and what, what are the big problems that people are facing um i think you've mentioned um one of them so you know the the covid that that whole um period of time and you know we we don't want to leap ahead and kind of say we're out of that time we're in a different time with that um but certainly one of the big things is is the sense of fatigue um is the um loss of even even the sense of what what am what is it that i'm doing why am i doing it this way as well um even the attempts to try to maintain so i'm seeing two very different things so I'm I'm seeing those who are wanting to kind of head back into the way things were and um, trying to hold on to that for dear life and and those who are sort of pretty burned out or feeling very um, low about their ministry and calling saw a lot of attrition during the 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 season Um, and then those who actually they've made a bit of a, a shift so there's still a lot of fatigue um, around, but realizing that something different is 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 needed, a different approach, um, and drawing in a more diverse sort of leadership, le- beginning to lean on people in in a in a healthier way, and seeing growth. There is growth that's happening um, out there, and and being encouraged um, in that but also recognizing that things have to be different going forward and that the church as is and as was is no longer going to cut it and not to be surprised at that because actually that's god that's what god has always done i've often said god is not invested in any denominations god is invested in god's mission and um, if we say yes to God's mission, then we get carried along with that. If we kind of say, well, we prefer this shape and size and we prefer this approach, then, you know, it it's the stuff that falls away. Uh, you know, I've always said that God is very happy to change his personnel. The journey through the wilderness should remind us of that. You know, it's kind of, you know, there's a bunch comes out of Egypt, they cross the wilderness, they say, oh, no, we don't want to, we really don't want to go into this promised land. And God says, okay, we'll just wait for the next group. God is always willing to change his personnel. God is committed to his mission. And um, he invites us to that. And we need to recognize that this, what we're not trying to do is to maintain something because it mattered to us 10 years ago or 20 years ago or something like that what we're trying to do is stay faithful to god's mission and i'd say that that's the case for christian leaders in any sphere is what is god's mission for me and and how do i do that without um losing touch with who he is but there's no doubt that the church is changing. We're at a critical point. I mean, we're hearing this all the time. Uh, we used to talk about recalibration. It seems like, you know, reset is a big thing, a uh, big phrase at this moment in time. And there's no doubt that that's the direction we're heading. And we can say yes or no. I would be, like to be on the yes side. Now you talk about um you talked there about being you know the need to constantly be sort of making sure that you're on mission with what God has planned for your life. How do you make sure after thirty five years in leadership that that you still do that? Where 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 is it that you feel God is calling you to next, and and how do you discern that? 
again, really good question. Um, I'm, I'm kind of in that space right now. So um, I think one of the things that one of the disciplines um, that I'm passionate about and committed to is the discipline of prayer and fasting. I regularly take time to do that. Then there are points in time where just pull back, step back. And the question is, okay, am I still on track? Is this what I'm supposed to be doing? Um, I know it needs to be done, but is, do I need to do it? Um, had some amazing advice from uh, one of my first mentors. One of the things he said to me was, that, Kate, you know, you're gifted in lots of areas. You'll get pulled into lots of areas. But his advice was, go where you're really needed. And so for me, that is the task. Okay, I can see I might be needed here. I can see other people could do this, but what? where am I really needed? And um, that's the question I'm asking myself. Where is my voice needed? Where is what I do needed more? So that that's how I do it. Um, and I make a, a practice of that and habit of that. And I do that with my co-director of Next Leadership. We spent a bit of summer asking that question. What, what has God been doing? And, you know, uh, particularly after the last season, because that was that was crazy for all sorts of reasons with the huge questions around race and then questions around sex as well. That was a challenging time. It does feel like it has been a real season of reckoning for the church, but in between abuse scandals, massive internal disagreements about sexuality, gender, marriage that have sort of been widely reported on in, in secular press, COVID, all of these challenges. What what the, the one thing, if you could ha- have one wish granted that you would like to see change in church culture to make it a healthier place? Wow. Goodness, narrowing it to one is... Yeah, I forgot to mention in that as well, obviously, the the whole race reckoning over George Floyd and all the huge discussions that we've had within the church that are still ongoing in recent years. I mean, just, I mean, yeah, you're right. We could make a huge list, couldn't we, of problems in the church. And and sometimes it feels a little bit dispiriting. I don't I don't want to sort of be one of those people that's forever banging on about what's what's wrong in the church, because I, I know there's also a... a a, a lot to celebrate a lot that's really beautiful but what what would be your one prayer for the church going forward um i think my one prayer would be that we would reimagine the church because then i don't have to choose between any of those things that you just said we could reimagine ourselves following more closely to jesus um less concerned about uh, celebrity so i i think you know the next season um, world Christianity is going to be huge and um, leaders who have never looked into some of the theologies coming from other parts of the world um, will be way behind. For me, this is a question of being more fully aligned with God's vision and mission. The reality is, as I say to people, you know, we live on a planet, seven billion different people. You know, we're all different. If, if that was God's intention, then we have to figure out a way of living together. I think the church has the answers, but we've spent a lot of time getting caught up with, with other stuff and losing sight of the salt and light we could be. Um, and again, that's not true over, you know, I, like you, I don't want to kind of be saying that actually it's all a, a negative picture. There are those who are emerging from this season kind of saying we've got to go for it we've got to reimagine this and for me that's leadership we're prepared to go somewhere where other people aren't yet ready to go that's pioneering leadership that's the stuff that I resonate with so if we can reimagine ourselves that'd be fantastic and actually that's that's the name of piece that I'm working on with a group of women globally and the idea is to release 5,000 women starting new Christian communities. And I think something really powerful is going to come from women in times to come um, and from men and women working together. Historically, we've kind of seen that whenever God is is wanting to do something new, he often will stir women. And certainly we're seeing that in terms of some of the churches in persecuted contexts. So for us, it's, it's partly about how do we create a community for women 
church planters or women who, who want to uh, be involved in, in in kind of raising up new, new faith communities, but in ways that are perhaps a bit different to what we've come to expect a church to look like and in spaces that we haven't necessarily expected church to be. We've started a number of cohorts around the world and um, we'll do some leadership sort of development. So we're going to have some aspects of this, which is about we're kind of calling them sort of soil enrichment stuff. So um, but just to help um, create a community of women who will support one another in however God is calling them to start new faith communities. Um and to re reimagine how they could be. And then there's the stuff we've been doing in the Global South with our role model leaders work, uh, which is the whole focus of that is to help to develop leaders from across sectors to bring transformation within their own context. And our stance, our disposition with that is to try to create an environment where people recognize what they already have what god has already given to them so this isn't about us saying you must do leadership this way this way this way this is about them discovering the best way to do leadership in order to bring transformation and to pull out um, the stuff that they already have and then of course there's the collaborative leadership stuff which is all about leadership in a world that's divided by race so it's all about how how do we break that stuff how do we break it spiritually how do we break it socially culturally institutionally um how do we shift the dial on that um as churches um as organizations so um those for me those are the things that um i'm currently focused on and needing to narrow my focus a little bit more um, <laughs> um because there's only one of me and uh so to come back to your to your own advice in your own book about um, boundaries and work-life balance what, what's the thing then just to just to round off because I know I've used up way too much of your time what's the thing that gives you joy in your downtime how do you rest and relax it's friends it's food it's theatre um, I'm learning to walk so I'm, I'm learning to kind of get out into nature um, as well and just choosing better rhythms um, recognizing that at the end of the day is it's God's work and um, it must be possible to do it in God's way. That was Reverend Dr Kate Coleman speaking to me Emma Fowle here on Premier Christian Radio. We really hope that you enjoyed this interview. For hundreds more conversations just like this one you can download the profile as a podcast. Just search for the profile wherever you normally get your podcast from or visit premierchristianradio.com forward slash the profile. You've been listening to The Profile in association with Premier Christianity magazine.